0: This is What's Ahead, and I'm Steve Forbes. In a moment, you'll hear my fascinating conversation with the Prime Minister of Latvia, Christian Courage. He was visiting the United States, and I couldn't resist the opportunity to have him in for a chat. He's an American, born an American of Latvian parents, went to Latvia 20 years ago, and is now Prime Minister. An extraordinary country. Most people don't know about it, but it's a gem, and he's a most unusual leader. But first, here's what's ahead this week. Earnings are starting to come out, and they'll turn into a deluge in the next week or so. And that'll determine how the second quarter went and give investors a feeling of what's going to lie ahead in the third and fourth quarters. The market's done very well since December. People are expecting it to do even better. And all of this bullish sentiment makes me a little leery. I think the market's going to do well, but I wouldn't be surprised if we get the kind of pause that will make investors shaky, and that'll be your buying opportunity. But you'll probably be too scared to take advantage of it. Prime Minister, great pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Your country, Latvia, has had a rather tortured history, as you've pointed out in the past, Christianity came by European standards rather late. Uh, you've always had to be fending off Poland, Sweden, Germany, Russia, and your country didn't achieve independence until 1919 Then had to fight a two-year war to secure that. 1939, it gets divvied up between Stalin and Hitler. Russia occupies again. Soviets occupy. Germany invades. Soviets come back. It's 1944, near the end of the war, and the Soviets come in and occupy the country until you achieve independence in 1991. So uh, your own family history is highly interesting. Uh, Your mother and your father, I think was the ages of five and eight, got out of Latvia in the turmoil of the war near the end and made it to Sweden. Tell us a little bit about your journey here and then to Latvia.
1: Well, uh, it's the fall of 1944 as the Soviet armies are advancing over Latvia. Once again, it's at the time uh, German-occupied, and the Soviets are coming back. One western peninsula of Latvia remained, um, how should we say, the German lines uh, held it against the Soviets, and uh, almost 200,000 refugees made it to the west. Uh, Most made it to Germany. And about 4,500 in small fishing boats went across the Baltic Sea at night uh, to Sweden. And both of my parents' families, they didn't know each other at the time, uh, independently made it to Sweden. That's where they grew up. Uh, That's where they met and married. Then they emigrated further uh, to the U.S. Uh, When did they emigrate to the U.S.? It was, uh, I believe, 1958. And... This was in Pennsylvania, or where, where Where? did they settle? They settled in uh, Delaware, in Delaware. Wilmington, Delaware. That's where I was also born. There's uh, a Swedish community in Delaware historically. Yes, uh, coincidentally. Uh, but it was one of my father's uncles, who was a refugee through the uh, German uh, displaced person camps, uh, got an entry visa into the U.S. and then afterwards sponsored the, the small part of the family that had managed to flee, uh, everyone gathered then uh, in Delaware. Uh, we lived rather close to one another uh, and grew up there.
0: And you were born in the end of December 1964?
1: Yes, 64. That that's, uh, that's a great year, I think. Yes.
0: So you uh, went to school
1: uh, in the U.S. You got a B.A. from St. John's. Uh, no, my B.A. is from the University of Pennsylvania. St. John's, I spent the first two years, then I, I transferred uh, uh, to the University of Pennsylvania. I got a B.A. and eventually a Ph.D.
0: Uh, you got the Ph.D. in 1996, yes. and it was in linguistics. Yes.
1: You uh, speak five languages? Well, I speak a few languages. I, I think people who speak them well would say I don't speak so many languages well, but I like to communicate, uh, so I, I don't have any hang-ups about speaking.
0: What are the languages? Obviously, English, Latvian, Uh, German, Russian, French. And Latvia, as well as its neighbors, Estonia and Lithuania, after a rocky start in the early 1990s, became sort of the Baltic Tigers. And even uh, until uh, 2008, your country took a severe hit, but recovered from that. You, You served as finance minister, I mean, economics minister before, 2004, 2006. Tell us briefly what you learned from that stint, and then uh, what happened after 2008.
1: Well, um, I think you've you've sort of summed up our history very well. Um, we are a tenacious people. Uh, so uh, when you uh, learn to take a hit or two, uh, you learn to get up afterwards as well. And uh, when the financial crisis came in uh, 2008, 2009, our GDP decreased by about... Almost 25% over the course of a year and a half. So that's, that's a nosedive. Depression. Uh, uh, yes, but actually uh, what everyone did uh, was simply um, hunker down. We decreased real wages. Uh, we had the goal of entering the eurozone. Uh, so instead of devaluing our currency, we cut our own wages uh, internally, starting with the prime minister going all the way down. And it was accepted by society. You, you
0: joined the EU in 2004. And at the time you had a currency board for your currency tied to the euro?
1: We, we were tied to plus minus 1%, but uh, we really had a fixed rate uh, for right. uh, uh, many years prior. And breaking that fixed rate would have uh, been another sort of hell for our households that, that had a considerable amount of debt. Uh, 90% of it was euro denominated. Uh, we at the time uh, were importing a lot more energy than we were doing today. And all of those external, um, uh, external liabilities would mean that uh, had we devalued the currency, uh, we would have been in a much worse situation than what we instead decided to do. So
0: you avoided the uh, opium of economics that you can devalue
1: your way to prosperity. You knew you had to keep steady and just work your way through it. Well, we have an understanding that money doesn't grow on trees. uh, And uh, if you've been uh, unwittingly overextended, you simply have to consolidate Uh, We did that, which means within just a couple of short years, we returned to growth. It's actually the the opposite of Greece. Greece tried to avoid the pain, and for 15 years, they've had trouble, including very high unemployment rates still today. Uh, Latvia is growing um, roughly 4% a year. Uh, our unemployment rate is down to 7%. In the capital city, Riga, it's, it's below 4%. Uh, we have a shortage of labor in Latvia. We don't have an excess of labor. Wages have been going up. Productivity has been going up. Uh, investments have been going up. So uh, we actually are quite convinced that, at least for our society, we did the right thing.
0: And your national
1: debt uh, is
0: roughly what thirty five
1: percent thirty six percent of gdp yes it's it's it 's in the thirties it It looks like it has a tendency now to be decreasing again it 'll be going to about thirty three percent before the crisis uh, we had an even lower debt we had about a ten percent debt so of course we you know the crisis did cost money, uh, but uh, we 're certainly not leveraged as a country the way that many European countries are. Uh, Italy, I think, being, uh, you know, the one in, in the most precarious situation, they have 130%, uh, 140% debt uh, to GDP. Uh, so that's, that's uh, not a very good situation for them. So you're brought up in the U.S. and you
0: pay your first visit to Latvia, I believe, in 1984. That's correct. And tell us, share us with us the shock you saw when you went there.
1: Well, I... Uh, I went uh, to Latvia from at the time a Latvian speaking high school in Germany. So after I finished high school in the US, I went to a, a, a Latvian speaking high school in Germany. It was the last, shall we say, holdout from the refugee camps. All the other Latvian schools had closed this one with help from the German government had not. Uh, at the time, Germany had 13 years of high school, so I went to grade 13. And from there, with three other friends, we took a train ride. It took forty hours. I remember that uh, to go from Berlin uh, to Riga, and it was like at the time stepping into a completely different world. Uh, it was a grey world physically. The buildings were all grey. Uh, everything was written in Russian on the buildings. You know the the, the street signs, the you know stores. Uh, uh, that that was all in Russian. It seemed that. About every third person on the street in Riga was in military uniform. Uh, Riga was uh, the center of, of the big Baltic Soviet military uh, area, and there were many soldiers on leave uh, walking around the streets. Um, it was quite dismal. When you got to the families and you got inside, that's when you saw uh, the true Latvian spirit open up. People very open, very smiling, very very uh, hospitable, but the view on the street was different almost 30 years later, Riga is unrecognizable compared to the the impression I had in 1984. Uh, Riga is, it it was a beautiful city then, but it's a colorful city now. People are smiling on the streets. People are very open, not only at home, but also um, uh, society is opened up. And it is, it's it's like when you see a flower bloom. I invite anyone to come to Riga. It's a beautiful city, very hospitable.
0: Were you worried in 1984 that you might get detained there, uh, since people did still want to get out. We had any worries that they might say, "Are oh, you really a Latvian?"
1: Well, in in 1984, uh, coming from the west, there was only one hotel in the where you were allowed to stay, and to go outside of the capital city, you had to get a special permit and be escorted by the KGB. Um, the good news that I realized was that it was such an inefficient system that the escort who was assigned to me asked if, um, if I wouldn't tell if he simply left because he wanted to visit some friends and relatives and would leave me <laughs> on my own. And I said, uh, don't worry, uh, I won't tell. <laughs> uh, so uh, I realized uh, immediately that, that the, the, the system, although oppressive in nature, was also inefficient. Reminds one of
0: the story, a grimmer story, when Solzhenitsyn was arrested and the two soldiers escorting him to uh, prison, he had to give him directions on how to get around Moscow. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, (laughs) I mean, the the inefficiencies of the system, of the Soviet system, are one of the reasons why it collapsed. I mean, it was an unsustainable system because actually very few people believed in the system and everyone seemed to be working to undermine it. Uh, And Remember, Latvia, we are, uh, culturally speaking, we're part of Roman Christendom. Uh, So when you took away autocracy, uh, maybe unlike, say, some countries in the Middle East or in North Africa, where, um, you know, autocracies toppled, and many people thought, I including, well, then democracy would flourish because people long for independence and freedom. And I don't doubt that people long for independence and freedom. But Apparently, that's not just a given. in In the three Baltic countries, uh, it worked out that way because that's fundamentally the kind of people that we are. Uh, and even fifty she years had the of the cultural Soviet, background, yes, and fifty years of Soviet oppression could not uh, wipe that away. Uh, so we we bounced back uh, very rapidly after regaining independence. Similarly, as we ba- bounced back very rapidly after the tremendous uh, economic crisis of two thousand eight two
0: thousand nine. What made you decide to?
1: Leave the U.S. and live in Latvia. Well, uh, remember, as I was growing up, um, uh, I I I grew up, I could say, in two parallel societies. So one was, uh, you know, going going to a school. I was the only Latvian, well, except my older sister, but we. I was the only Latvian ever uh, in any of my classes. When I was in high school, I was the only Latvian in the entire high school. But on on the weekends and in the summers. Uh, I would attend uh, Latvian school, Latvian summer camps, and there's a tremendously well-connected network of Latvians at the time and still now uh, in the U.S. Uh, I grew up with the the realization that that I am uh, the child of uh, political refugees. And uh, should the opportunity uh, uh, be, we always had the understanding that we would return and help to Rebuild the country that would need help anyway. And when that opportunity came and I had finished my PhD, uh, I, I moved back really with a, with a very general intent. I wanted to be part of the rebirth of a nation. That does not come. Uh, every day, and when you happen to be in a generation where that occurs, it's really like a miracle. I felt it also as as a privilege and a responsibility to participate. I, of course, never anticipated that I would get into politics, what, what, even what less that you? I would become. What, what, uh, what got you into to, politics? Um, well, I was in business before, uh, so I, I I I wanted to uh, teach at the university, but in the in the early '90s there was how should we say, some resistance to opening up uh, teaching posts to competition from the outside. I'm, I'm being rather polite. And uh, so I, I figured, well... If they're not nature going,
0: does not change. <laughs> well,
1: if if they're not going to give me a job, I'll give myself a job. And I went into business, and uh, together with a friend of mine, uh, we created a frozen bo- a frozen foods distribution company. I, I knew nothing about business. I knew nothing about frozen foods. I knew even less about distribution, but I learned a hell of a lot. Uh, it was completely exciting. But um, at the same time, when you're in business, then you see a lot of the, say, the regulation that is actually – you're quite convinced it's, it's hampering you a little bit. And in 2000, uh, 2001, the then former Bank of the Governor of Latvia, uh, a young guy, he's just a couple of years older than I am, but at the time, you know, he was, we, were, we were both still quite young, uh, he said he was stepping down from the governorship of the bank to form a political party to... Um, Improve the system, and he had one call, you know, for the people who wanted to join him. He said, "I will take anyone, but no one who has has any ties to the old Communist Party." And I thought, well, of all the ties I have, that's one I really don't. Uh, So I got in touch with him. I I wanted to exchange uh, some ideas. I was invited to the table one thing led to another uh, they asked me if i would be willing to run um i got elected i became head of the parliamentary group then i became a a, a, a minister uh, uh then i was elected to the european parliament served there for 10 years um was asked by my party to be the to be the candidate to be prime minister and as it turned out um it worked out that i'm prime minister so in life i see sometimes uh you never know where the leads will follow. One thing leads into another. I got into politics because I, I wanted to help improve things and sort of...
0: Is that why you said
1: when you became prime minister, I have absolutely nothing to lose? Well, I I still feel that I have nothing to lose and only to gain. That is, if I can do something good for my country, uh, I will do that, and that's where I'm fully committed. Uh, that's what I'm fully committed to doing. How
0: are you coping with the challenge of uh, coalition government? Uh, people pointed out run-ups to elections. Everyone makes big promises. Then
1: uh, you come in, you got to cobble a government together, and then you got to figure out <laughs> where do we go from here. Well. Um, Perhaps I have in some ways uh, an advantage. Uh, being in politics a number of years, I have learned that uh, you have to be a little wary of the simple and big promises because they're usually a little difficult to deliver. And I was often criticized for not making the out-of-this-world crazy promises. And at the end of the day, was the only one able to put a coalition together uh, because I'm not beholden by um, unfulfillable promises. Now, some of my colleagues in government are having a little bit of a problem because they, some of them promised the moon and, uh, you know, it it works a little differently in the real world. But uh, uh, I get along very well with all my coalition partners. I think they all have uh, something to contribute. And uh, what I'm working uh, uh, on a daily basis is just to coordinate that activity to help lead it uh, and to keep everyone on board. Uh, You said that
0: uh, you want to shift away from Latvia as a place with good workers at low wages to highly educated workers who can command high wages. In other words, high tech. Estonia has gone into high tech a major way. Uh, How are you moving forward on that?
1: Well, if, if you look at the sheer numbers, we're, we actually export more high-tech than our northern neighbors, the Estonians. Well, we, we also have a larger economy, a larger population. But uh, it certainly is heading in this direction. Uh, what we have, what what used to be just a couple of isolated companies, which were quite advanced, were getting larger and larger ecosystems. And these ecosystems are starting to interact right. with each other. Uh, and uh, so what you have, remember, People who who are oppressed for 50 years. So say you're bright in Latvia in the 1960s or 70s. In the U.S., if you're bright, you may have gone into, you know, uh, based upon your interests, maybe studied philosophy, maybe studied uh, literature, uh, other things like that. Well, the Soviets managed to cripple the humanities. So all of the brains went into the stems, into the the sciences, uh, which means that we have a tremendous positive legacy of people who really know their stuff. Uh, we have uh, a company, for example, uh, whose only competition in the world is apparently a couple companies in the U.S. that deal with uh, radiation detection uh, devices. Uh, these are nuclear physicists who have uh, 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 tremendous knowledge, who've created a company that creates uh, products. I, I've, I visited them. It's so specific. They actually, you know, they tool from 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 a metal shop all the way through to the to the software uh, that has um, um, devices that can detect um, the full range. It, it 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 sort of blows me away how such a small country uh, how we can uh, do that. And so, uh, again and again we find these gems. And it's because of the of the it's also the the creativity that that we as a people have been sort of forced uh, to foster throughout the generations. It's not only in the Soviet times, but uh, we have, uh, in our northern part of the world, perhaps one of the most innovative and creative societies, uh, which shows itself also, among other things, in the arts. So, uh, Latvia
0: is very much of an unknown story. Uh, one of the things you're doing to try to attract even more foreign investment is uh, corruption. Uh, you've referred to uh, rats. You want to get the rats out of your house. And uh, you're working with uh, the Council of Europe, a long committee of experts of anti-money laundering measures and the financing of terrorism. You're, uh, you're, you're combating that. W- walk us through to try to, you say, you want to create trust, not with uh, words, but with actions. Walk us through that.
1: Um, well, let's take the financial uh, sector uh, so our country was hit, as many countries in the north of Europe, in the banking systems, um, dirty money, uh, looking for loopholes, looking for ways to infiltrate into the European banking system. Right. And uh, unfortunately, uh, they were often successful. Also, they were successful in our country. Um, this is bad. This is bad for our country. Uh, it's bad for business. Uh, it's bad for reputation. But important, more importantly, it... it it's a high risk of corruption, and of course, um, uh, terrorism financing and and uh, uh, weapons of mass destruction proliferation. So, funding uh, people who uh, you know who do these crazy things. Uh, so, what we did is uh, what I would call a complete overhaul of the bank watchdog system in our country. So, in the past six months, this is the first thing we actually have completed in terms of full a full uh, set of legislation which has been signed, sealed, and delivered of amending our laws, giving our law enforcement much more power to prosecute financial crime, also raising the awareness of what financial crime is. And sort of the crowning part is that we're also, because we changed the remit of our bank watchdog, our bank watchdog is separate from the central bank. It it was taken out um, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, We are now uh, having a a public... um, an international uh, uh, competition for a new bank watchdog, so if anyone is listening to this podcast feels that uh, they want to take the knowledge that they have learned in the banking system, understanding uh, risk assessment, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, and want to come in uh, to Latvia. Uh, we have an open uh, international tender. Uh, submit your CV, and uh, if if you happen to be a Latvian, you will have a certain advantage because it means you also will already know our country. But we're really looking for someone to spearhead to uh, make the laws now turn over into uh, uh, implementation. So I need someone who's going to implement that which we have already prepared.
0: Is this part of been uh, talk about a specialized economic court? whereas you say slow and unpredictable proceedings contribute to corruption. You want something that can operate with efficiency.
1: Yes. uh, My uh, justice minister, uh, he's a great guy. He has uh, some wonderful ideas. And one that he's proposing, and I think it's the right idea, uh, is that we set up a specialized court for financial crime. Because financial crime um, is actually something which uh, traditional judges have a little bit of of trouble sort of understanding, you know, who's the victim? What is the crime? Um, why is it bad? Who's the, you know, it, it, it's not the same as someone, you know, stealing a box of pencils. Uh, it's, it's a little more complex than that. Uh, and uh, with uh, offshore structures, et cetera, et cetera, it, it can be very, very opaque. Uh, so if we set up uh, a court of specialized judges and, and also prosecutors, uh, we want to make sure, it's, it's a signal I want, that if you have dirty money and you're thinking of trying to wash it into the European banking system. Uh, Do not come to our country. You will fail. Great. Um, The purpose of your visit
0: to the U.S.?
1: Uh, The purpose of my visit is I've met with government officials. I've met with uh, representatives of of, uh, industry, with various think tanks in Washington, D.C. The main goal is to bring out the message of what great things I think we're doing in our country and uh, to increase interest for investment. I am looking for more private investment into our economy. I think Latvia has a lot to offer. You can get a good return on your investment because the environment and the people are such uh, that will help make that happen. And, and what we can really offer as a country, generally speaking, and you know, all generalizations are, are a little vague by definition, but if you can imagine like a tanker and a little speedboat Um, many U.S. companies, they're large, they're like tankers. For them to move or to change, you know, there's there's a command, it goes all the way down and it takes, you know, time and then someone's turning the big wheel and slowly the tanker moves. Whereas on a little speedboat, you know, it's just one guy, you want to go left, you just turn the wheel left and it goes left immediately. You can run circles around the tanker. We are a country of speedboats. So when larger companies want to develop new and innovative products and and and, and services uh, we are a great country that can offer wonderful partners to do that uh, in whether it's in fintech or other high-tech uh, uh, areas um, we have people and small companies that are waiting to be discovered and to partner up with the uh, larger companies
0: um, in terms of foreign direct investment it's it seems like an impressive number for a country of your size I see 14 16 billion. What is that?
1: Of all of the figures that we've seen since the crisis of 2008 and 2009, the rebound of the economy, the slowest part has been the private investment. It's going back up, but it's not going up fast enough. So our country still has, in a sense, an over-reliance on European Union funds. So the way the Ah. the EU uh, functions is the uh, everyone pays into the kitty. The regions that have uh, less development get more of that money coming from the common kitty. And Latvia is, is on the receiving end, the net receiving end. We pay in, but we uh, get out a little more than we pay. It's, it's a great system. But actually, this is this is not our goal. Our goal is not to be a recipient. Our goal is to be a net payer uh, to help other regions. We don't consider ourselves uh, inherently poor or unable. Uh, we just had 50 years of, of you know not being able to run, and now we're running and we're catching up quite quickly. So, I'm looking for the private investment to complement the investment which is coming from Europe as a whole. Um, on the tax side, as a attractive place, uh, you,
0: your corporate tax is 20%, but it's unusual in that you don't have to pay the tax until you distribute the profits. How does that work?
1: Uh, this is uh, 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 The previous government uh, changed the law on this, so uh, reinvested profits do not get taxed. And the idea is to... Um, uh, encourage companies to continue to invest uh, so uh, the the tax is only hit once you distribute uh, gains so and we, we don't want companies not to distribute gains but we want to make it more attractive to continue investing and growing because when companies invest that creates more jobs and any possibility of bringing the flat tax back to uh, Latvia, one of my favorite
0: uh, subjects.
1: Yeah, I I actually also think it uh, it has a lot of advantages. Uh, Some number of years ago, we moved into a partially, I could say, progressive system. I think that if anyone were to try to reintroduce the flat tax, you simply would not get enough votes, uh, because there's also a sense of uh, and I think it is—it is true um, of fairness. Uh, so that if everyone pays their proportional share, uh, then those who have more can also pay a little more. And uh, I think in all societies it's important. So, for example, the way I, I view our educational system—we have a top-notch educational system for the motivated. Our Top students, they, they they can get into any university around the world. Plenty studying in the U.S. At, at the best universities. That's not a problem. They're very well prepared. But what I think all societies have to think about—it's responsibility of government. What about those young guys and girls who maybe won't be going to college, or you know, won't be going to the to the top uh, ten uh, world universities? But. We still need them as, as useful um, members of society. They can ca- still start great companies. <laughs> that, they, they can do great jobs, exactly. So it's it's looking at how to raise the lowest segment, and that's where I'm really focused on. Because we in our country, we do very well with the elite. If you look at uh, uh, sports, if you look at uh, education, uh, uh, if you look at the arts, um you will see Latvians throughout the world. I mean, you know, the, the New York Met has Latvian uh, uh, opera stars singing and people pay lots of money to hear them because they're, they're just damn good. Um, but I need to also focus on those who are not going to be the Met opera stars, who are not going to be running the big companies, and to raise that up as well. It's, it's more looking towards the Finnish model of not knocking down the elite but raising up the low end. And we're such a small society. I'm absolutely positive we'll be able to do that as well, which is, again, a very positive signal for any investor. You will have qualified workers at any level that you're looking for.
0: So foreign investors, you can offer really everything, motivated workers, highly educated workers. And a government that wants them there. Banker once said, capital goes where it is welcomed and stays where it is well-treated.
1: I think that's uh, that's a very good way to say it.
0: Now, one of the challenges you have is demographic. Uh, one, you had a lot of Russians forcibly moved to Latvia in that uh, horrible phase, but also uh, immigration coming in. How do you uh, integrate? Uh, perhaps it's not as big in your country, but it certainly has uh, put huge stress on the EU. Could be the rock on which it founders. Uh, and you've had some thoughts on uh, how, how to deal with that. First, your own country, still 25% Russian. How, do you, how, do you, how, how is that going? How, how are you truly integrating where the Russians feel? We want to stay here. We don't
1: want anything to do with Moscow. <laughs> well, um, it's about 24 or 25% today, but it was 49% in 1989. Uh, so, uh, the process of integration is real, it's happening. Uh, so, in the 1980s, in the Soviet occupation, if there was, a, say, a mixed marriage, Latvian-Russian, chances are the child would grow up Russian-speaking with a Russian uh, identity. Uh, today, it's the opposite. If there's a mixed marriage, chances are that child will have primarily a Latvian identity. Certainly, uh, all young children now in the schools are learning the national language, which means they're, you know, the job prospects are completely open for them. So, the process is happening. It's being hampered because we are uh, continue living with uh, direct propaganda coming from Moscow. You know, um, un, you know, it, direct. Uh, every, uh, the, the people speak Russian. They they view Russian satellite TV for free, and they see that uh, uh, what Moscow is saying: "Do not integrate. You don't belong to another country. You belong to Mother Russia." Um, the problem that I think Moscow has with this signal is I think it falls a little bit on wooden ears because when we look at uh, 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 migrational patterns. We don't see anyone heading from Latvia to Russia. We see also the Russian speakers, if they move anywhere, they're moving to Berlin or they're moving to London or they're moving to Stockholm. They are not heading west, because, uh, east because there, there's no job prospects there. So Russia is losing its population far faster than we are, but we still have a challenge. It's also with the wage differential. Historically, 10 years ago, was, it was much worse. We had a lot of people leaving and very few coming back. Today, it's almost at equilibrium, uh, so people are leaving and coming back at because the same time.
0: Almost, what, 200,000?
1: Uh, we have uh, estimates are between two and 300,000 Latvians currently working abroad, uh, in, mostly in the EU, uh, primarily concentrated in Germany, uh, uh, the, U- the UK, and Ireland. Uh, but uh, you, you'll find Latvians uh, working absolutely everywhere and, and also moving around uh, Europe. Uh, so it is a big challenge. But uh, in terms of... Uh, uh, integration, we have a very simple policy. We call it the open door policy. Please, uh, if you're born there, uh, if you're living there, you're free to naturalize. You you can uh, easily attain citizenship. And uh, uh, it's it's not a difficult thing. It's only a question of whether you want to. And what we see, well, now children who are born, that's, that's an automatic thing. But if we look at uh, those who are not naturalizing, it's really only people who are considerably older than I am. And I was born in '64, so this is pe- these are people who were born in the 1950s, maybe even the 1940s, who are not naturalizing. My understanding is that many of them maybe simply don't want to accept the fact that that the the part of the Soviet Union they came to is today, you know, an independent country. They don't really want to accept that. Well, I'm not happy with that fact, but shall we say, the demographics are changing and and time uh, does its own anyway. But what we're really focusing on is the young kids, the school-aged kids, and there we're seeing very positive trends. You've talked about the immigration crisis.
0: Let's talk about the EU. Uh, you said that uh, the EU is a work in progress. It's, it's, it's a very uh, diplomatic way of putting things. But uh, the immigration crisis, uh, you've talked about, one, they've got to integrate do a better job of integrating as you've done, but you're also very explicit. You've got to control the borders.
1: Well, uh, see, in the EU, our single market, and it's a single market of 500 million. So for a Latvian company, or anyone who invests in Latvia, your home market is not the 2 million people of Latvia. It's the 500 million of the EU. But the presupposition is that we keep no internal borders, But in order for that to work, you actually have to have sound external borders. And uh, we saw in the Great Migration Crisis, which had, uh, you know, a knock-on political crisis, so uh, anti-immigration parties uh, flaring up and and, uh, disturbing the status quo. uh, I think it is important uh, to control that. Now, the EU is, has, has a deal with Turkey, paying um, Turkey money to help uh, you know, support the, the refugee camps there so that those people don't just spill over. But we also have a responsibility, it's the more difficult part, of coming up with a clear set of rules and criteria, how could, you could enter the EU legally a, as a whole. And uh, see, the EU is a little unlike the United States in, in, in the important way that we are not a country, a federal uh, union, uh, we are a, a union of uh, very proudly independent member states, uh, but we know that in in many regards we have to pool our our sovereignty to gain the benefits so if you want a single market, you kind of have to give up uh, some some things and but it 's a great advantage overall, but it is keeping making sure the external border is is secure, and there are cre- clear rules how. And I think one of the keys is also um, development aid. So how can the EU, as a very wealthy society, uh, help uh, also with uh, well-spent monies uh, to increase the well-being so that there's less pressure on people wanting to come to the EU? Um, you've pointed
0: out that uh, the EU is not like the United States yet. How is your call for removing uh, internal barriers. There's still inter- Discuss the internal barriers inside the EU that uh, don't make it as smooth functioning as the US, where it's seamless to go from state to state, well, interstate commerce.
1: You know, there, there's a couple of things. So first, uh, the US, uh, no one thinks about it, but it could be called, has a dollar zone. So every state in the US uses the US dollar. It's no one, people don't think about it because, of course, everyone does. In Europe, not all member states use the same currency. So, 19 of us have the euro, uh, and that's called the eurozone. But some countries like uh, uh, Sweden and Denmark, uh, 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 well, the UK, who's still in, but maybe it seems to be le- leaving out if they Bulgaria. actually so decide, yeah. um, uh, are outside. And that means that on a transactional basis, there's always a little bit of currency risk for companies. Uh, we have a rather, uh, certainly, a free flow of people. Uh, We have a quite free flow of goods, although sometimes uh, local, so we say, um, safety or other standards make it a little difficult to get your product certified across, although in theory, if you've certified in one member state, it's certified everywhere. But there are Little clever ways to have um, what effectively are trade barriers, but uh, the the biggest difficulty is still in the services sector. So the ability of EU companies to compete, say, for public tenders across state boundaries, it happens, it doesn't happen freely enough. Uh, and this is uh, one of the areas where I'm very uh, uh, adamant and worked on as a parliamentarian in the European uh, Parliament and now working as uh, as the head of the government in the European Council, that we have to tear down the remaining internal barriers. to trade because Europe has become wealthy because we tore down the borders, and we have to keep those borders down. And I am also a very adamant supporter of transatlantic EU-US relationships. I'm convinced it's a win-win situation. Uh, The US and the EU are not competitors in the sense that if one is going up, the other has to go down. Uh, We can both go up, and actually, we need each other. Uh, Do 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 you foresee, someday
0: the EU and the U.S. actually negotiating a free trade agreement? Uh,
1: yes, I don't think it's inconceivable. Um, uh, it, it, it's going to take some time, it seems, right now. But the, the EU has been quite successfully negotiating free trade agreements uh, more and more around the world. And, uh, but what, what is most frustrating is if you look, sort of step back from a bird's eye view, the U.S. and the EU, these are two huge markets that are founded upon the same underlying fundamental three principles of freedom, democracy, and the rule of law. Not the rule of thuggery, but the rule of law. So a rules-based system. Uh, other large markets around the world. So let's think of China. If you were to say, what are the three basic tenets of the you know the Chinese economy? I don't know if you would necessarily agree that they are the same freedom, democracy, and the rule of law. They, they may be a little different, three things. Uh, so the question is, who is going to set the rules of world trade in the future? If the EU and the U.S. work together, if we work on a free trade agreement, those will be the de facto rules of the game. If we don't do that, it gives other areas of the world much larger leverage, and that in ultimately, in the wrong world, will be a disadvantage to our free and democratic societies. Democracies, unfortunately, are not growing around the world. They're shrinking. And those of us who strongly believe in these values, we have to find ways to work together. It's not unusual that we have differences of opinion. We have them in Europe all the time. But it's a little bit like a marriage. You know, every marriage hits a little rocky patch now and again. And ultimately, a couple has to decide, is the underlying love and trust of one another worth fighting for? In many cases, it is. And I think certainly, the relationship between the US and Europe, we have to think, and we have to understand that the underlying similarities far outweigh any differences. Let's work through the differences, but let's not, let's not endanger the relationship. So
0: on the EU, if they deal with the immigration crisis, secure the borders, learn to integrate, the EU can be saved. The U.S. relationship, you trust NATO, you trust Article 5? Yes, So if we work together, we'll have a great future. That's a a great way to end our conversation. Uh, I think
1: that's absolutely the direction that we have to head in.
0: Thank you very much, Prime Minister, and congratulations. Thank you very much. And now, here are my reads of the week. I have bad news for science fiction fans. In recent years, we've been filled with stories that there may be intelligent life like us throughout the universe. After all, it's a big place. But sadly, now the evidence is coming in that we are all alone. Commentary Magazine has a cover story titled, Are We Alone in the Universe? mark. The answer is yes. It's written by a fellow named Ethan Siegel, and you can find it on Commentary.com. And another piece absolutely related to this is called The Human Miracle by John Podhoritz, also on Commentary.com. So we human beings don't expect to be bailed out by other human beings if we mess up here. We got to do it right because no one's going to rescue us, not from another planet, not another celestial body. We're it. Thanks for listening to What's Ahead. I'm Steve Forbes, looking forward to next week. And if you could rate, review, and subscribe to this show, we at Forbes sure would appreciate it.